go ahead. Drop the nails in my hands. Laugh at me. Where you stand. Go ahead. And say it isn't me. The day will come when you will see. Cause I'll rise, I'll rise again. There's no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise. I'll rise again Death can't keep me in the ground Go ahead And mock my name My love for you Is still the same Go ahead and bury me, but very soon I will be free. Y'all sing it. Cause I'll rise again. There's no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Go ahead. Say I'm dead and gone You will see That you were wrong Go ahead Go ahead and try to hide the sun But all will see That I'm the one Cause I've come Again, there's no power on earth can keep me back. Yes, I'll come again. I'll come to take my people back. Yes, I'll come. There's no power on earth can hold me back. Yes, I'll come again. I'll come to take my people back.
come to take my people back. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Our Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Welcome to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, folks. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord already, I hope. Amen. We have several visitors with us this morning. Welcome. We're glad you guys are here. And Carla, I believe you're taking the little ones out if there's any little ones to take. Are there any little ones that need to be dismissed at this time? Okay. I guess you're staying in here, Carla. Okay. Carla volunteered to take the little ones out. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad everyone is here. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28. The final chapter of this gospel is where we'll be today. And um, this is the Lord's resurrection day. Amen? It is the day that we as the church celebrate, but also remember and worship the importance of this historic moment in, in human history, in eternal history, when, when death was conquered and sin is forgiven. Amen? Come on, Baptist. This is the time for amen. All right. Amen. That's right. Joe's not here. So Joe Loretta's not here today. So you're all going to have to take, take up where Joe is missing. Amen. Amen. Let's remember that this final chapter of Matthew's gospel is the most important for the Christian faith. This chapter begins with the narrative of the resurrection of our Lord and then the response to its revelation to the Roman guards who were there and also to the two Marys that are mentioned here. And, and both of these witnesses, though, reacted in fear of this event. This is a supernatural event. And we're going to see here this morning that there were two different reactions but only the disciples of Jesus, both these women and then later the 12 that were coming, would respond to the mix of fear and joy. Not just would they walk away in fear, there was also a joy mixed with that. The fearful joy leads to the final scene in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, that we call the Great Commission. And I don't want us to miss the connection here in this final chapter of Matthew between the resurrection and the commission of our Lord. It's in the same chapter, if you've paid attention. Did y'all notice that? Because we don't teach this as one whole chapter. We, we cut it up into segments. But there's a reason that Matthew has shared this resurrection story and then the Great Commission in the way that he has. That's what I want us to look at today. When we look here in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We cannot ignore how Matthew's gospel ends, especially as it follows directly after the resurrection. I think there's a connection here that we need to see. So on this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday, will you walk with me through this passage, verses 1 through 10 of Matthew 28, to see the impact of our Lord's resurrection, not only upon His followers, but upon you and me. 
You ready for that? Let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word as we read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Wow. Let's pray. Oh God, as we read these very familiar words, words that we hear every year at this day, this resurrection day, this day that we remember and worship our Savior who is no longer in the grave, we have heard these words over and over and over. But God, I pray this morning that your, your presence would be in this room and that you would speak boldly through your word to us and you would challenge us this morning to not just see this day as another day, to not just see this day as another holiday, but Lord, that we focus intently on the resurrection of our Savior, that we are remembering and worshiping the truth that our sins are forgiven and death no longer has control. That's central to the faith. That's central to the truth of your word. And God, I pray today you would not cause us to miss it. And I pray, God, you would challenge us to preach it, to proclaim it, to live it. And so, God, this is your moment with us. This is your hour. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The resurrection of the crucified Jesus. This is the turning point of the New Testament and it is at the heart of the Christian faith. Let's not miss the importance of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there would be no Savior to worship. Without the Christian, without the resurrection, we would be here this morning in vain. We don't emphasize this enough, I'm afraid, but it is important. All of the gospel centers around the death of death. The death of death, as the great Puritan writer John Owen said. Christ's resurrection from the grave, it solidifies the purpose of his life and of his ministry. Death which comes from sin, is now no longer powerful because of Christ's triumph over it. That's why 
Amen. Death for the Christian is now transformed from this idea of an annihilation of our existence. That's the ancient idea that when you died, you were just floating in a dark nothingness. Or, or one other idea in the pagan idea, ideology and mythology was that you would, if you were good enough, you would be welcomed into the Elysian fields. But that ancient idea of death was wrong. And Jesus' resurrection shows us that death for the ones who are in Christ is now not just an, an evaporation of our existence. Death is now revealed as the truth. It is only, it is now only a doorway into another realm, if you will, another existence, another place where we are going to be with our Savior for eternity. In other words, death for the Christian is merely a doorway from here to another place. That's what Jesus shows us here as he conquers death. Christ, an eternal life with our Lord in heaven for eternity is what is promised and is only possible for the, by the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. He opens the door for his people. He opens the door for his church to enter into eternity with him. It's an amazing thing. You see that? I mean, that, that is such a radically unique idea in human history that most of the secular world cannot grasp it because the majority of human history has seen death in such a distorted way that it required Jesus Christ to show us what death really is. Number one is the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But his resurrection from the grave conquers the power of sin over us and conquers this idea that death is somehow this final end of our existence. No, it's just the beginning of an eternal joy with our Lord. That's what today is about. Amen, church? All right. This passage shows us that there, that there are two reactions to this truth. Fear is at the heart of the response here of Jesus is coming out of the grave. That there is an earthquake here and there's two different responses here. One, the Roman guards in verse four, what do they do? They trembled in fear like dead men. They couldn't cope. Manly men, soldiers could not cope. With, with, with any, any supernatural event, an earthquake happened and something miraculous occurred. The second response is that there were two women here in this context, but uh, other gospels tell us that there were more than just these two Marys. But both Marys were encouraged here, even though they were afraid, they received comfort. They were encouraged not to fear. This comfort came from the angel and also from our Lord Jesus himself. Verse 5 and verse 10, you see that these women received comfort in their fear. The Roman soldiers were terrified to the point of almost death themselves. The women received comfort and the truth of their Savior. You see that? So while we could spend time this morning peeling away the layers of the details of the resurrection narrative, and I've had sermons in the past where I've done that, because I have preached Resurrection Sunday sermons now for about 15 years. And I go back through my notes and I'm thinking, okay, that first sermon I preached when I first got out of seminary, I'm going to toss that away and burn it so that no one else ever hears it again. Chad's laughing because he understands. 
But then they have to ponder. I mean, we could go into the, the details of what is death and we could go through the details of what is the scientific and biological reality of our Lord on the cross and coming out of the grave and, and all that. We, no. I think an important part of this text this morning for us, I think it's a better use of our time to dwell on the joyful reaction that is mixed with fear of the Christians who witnessed this miracle event that, that changed human history. We cannot ignore the fact that this was not just a good Bible story. This true event, this historical reality, changed human history forever because it was the climax of all human history that came before it, and it now changes all of human history that comes after it, and we are still in that phase of influence of the resurrection upon us, God's church. We can't ignore that, folks. It's important to see this. Now, now the lively assurance of our reconciliation with God actually arises from Jesus having come up from death as the conqueror of death. That ushered in a reconciliation with our Father in heaven because our sin was the separator. And Jesus coming out of death and coming out of the grave shows us that there is now reconciliation possible with our Father God. The ancient idea of resurrection, though, is one who stands up from among the dead ones. In other words, the idea of dead ones, if you imagine a field full of dead people, what would they look like? They would all be dead just laying out on the, on the ground. You imagine just as far as the eye could see, dead ones. Resurrection, the idea of resurrection is standing up from that. Can you imagine seeing corpses and suddenly one of them stands up? That's really the idea of resurrection here, rising up from the dead ones. That's the concept here that we see. So just as Jesus shows the power of new life here, we Christians, we the church too, will participate in new life, eternal life, as our Lord grants it, as he promises it. We're not going to be dead ones anymore. We're going to stand up from this. We're going to stand up and resurrect from it. We will not remain there because our Lord Jesus Christ opens the way and redeems us from this possibility of just being dead. You see that? And, and, and as I say that, folks, I'm, can we just be real? We come to church and we're just dead. We come to church and we're just dead. Well, folks, we're here to celebrate. We're here to sing praises. And so, Nathan, thank you this morning for leading us in biblical praise of our Lord. We sing praises and we celebrate today because it is real. It is important. It is not just a good story. It is real. Our Lord grants us eternal life, new life, and we will no longer live with the dead ones for eternity. That's, that blows the mind. You ever been to a funeral? And I've, I've conducted more funerals in my ministry than I've ever done weddings. I'll just say that. And the ratio is pretty stark. I can count the number of weddings on one hand. I've lost count of how many funerals I've officiated in my years. And it is a stark difference at a funeral between someone who is not a Christian and lost and the family who is in torment and agony versus the saint who is 
gone on to be with the Lord and has entered into a new life and the family knows it and they celebrate that new life. That's the transition. That's the doorway of death for the Christian. It's not the end. It's not an agony. Death is now merely a transition from here to our Lord and an eternal joy. Amen. That's what we see here in this text. Verse four. Let's look back here at verse four. After the earthquake, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The Roman guards reacted to this resurrection with fear. Matter of fact, it was terrorizing fear. Because their pagan ideas of the afterlife were at play here. Now, the Roman idea of death is the idea, again, of the dead one, but it's when one's life ended, one would go to the underworld and be in an existence of a miserable dream. That's the best way they could describe death. It was as if you were going on in eternity like in a miserable dream. That was the Roman concept of death. Or they would describe it as an eternal life of shadows. You see how the mystery, the vagueness of death was? That's how the Romans and the pagans would think of it. And that would be in the mind of these Roman guards. You see what we're saying here? That's what was in their existence. That's all they knew. For, for them, for these Roman guards, death was a place barren of hope or joy where the dead would eventually fade into nothing. So this idea of annihilationism is not a new concept with John Stuck, the great evangelical preacher. It's something that has kind of come back. It was a pagan idea, an ancient idea of annihilationism that you would just eventually fade away into nothingness. But you see, the Christian idea here is much different. It's much different. You see, these Roman guards through the earthquake and the powerful strength of this angel, God actually places deathly fear or terror into these pagan men. They are terrified. God strikes fear into these men to ensure that when they did tell the resurrection to others, when they told others of what happened that night, they would take this supernatural event seriously, even though they would not understand it even though they would actually go and be told, no, you don't go tell the truth. You go tell a lie. Tell them that the that, that his disciples came to get it. But these Roman guards knew the truth, even though they were paid off. And we see that in verses 11 through 15. These guards were paid off to go tell a lie. But they knew the truth. And God placed the fear of that truth in their souls. Yet, yet let's not be mistaken here that the angel who is standing here, who's sitting on top of this stone that's rolled away, the angel power was necessary to move the stone from the tomb. But let's just make sure that we don't miss it. The angel did not move the stone in order to somehow release our Lord from the grave. He did, The angel was not there to rescue Jesus. Because if Jesus in his glorified and resurrected body would have the power to appear in rooms behind closed doors as his disciples were hiding from Roman persecution, certainly he can come up out of a grave and not worry about a rock. Why did the angel move the stone? To show everybody that it was empty. The angel did not move the stone to somehow release Jesus from death. No, the angel moved the stone because Jesus was already out of the grave. That terrified the Romans. 
That is an amazing thing. That, that Jesus here, he, he came out of the grave. I mean, he came out of a grave that was sealed with a Roman signet. He came out of a grave that had a stone so large in it that it would take several men a long time to get it into place. Men who've ever had to move furniture, you know what we're talking about? Try to imagine moving a boulder. Gee, that didn't stop our Lord from coming out of the grave. That's His power, folks. That's the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who comes out of the grave. He needed no help. He conquered it all. Now, let's look here at verse 5. Let's look at how the women react. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. That's why they were coming. They came to the grave that morning because they were there. They were loyal to their Savior. They mourned His death. They mourned His loss. They were there to uh, to, to to pay homage to Him, to, to anoint His body if necessary. And the fear in their minds was consoled by the words of the angel in order to begin the journey of hope. God's grace had a different purpose for these ladies. Only the genuine resurrection would give grace and hope to the genuine followers of Christ. And these ladies, I think, embody that. Had God's grace not been poured over these women, the weight of terror would have crushed their spirits. Now, now Luke's gospel tells us that the women present were not just the two Marys, but you had more there. Luke's gospel in Luke 24, verse 10 says, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So we have to understand this is more than just two Marys here. It seemed to be a group of women who were there. Matthew's account merely tells us that two Marys were at the tomb that morning because he wanted to focus on them. Because they were the ones who were going to go and tell the disciples that their Lord was out of the grave. But, but that the compassion these women had for their Lord, I think drives their presence that morning. I don't want to go so far because some commentators are going to look at this text and, and really condemn the men for not being here. Because other, other gospel accounts do say that the men were in hiding in Jerusalem for fear of persecution. And I think that's a legitimate thing. If you got Roman guards going to spear you in the gut as soon as they see you on the street, I think you're wise to stay hidden for a little bit. I don't, I don't think there's condemnation necessarily. Might be a little bit there, but at the same time, these women were present at the tomb. And what they do, and this is something I want us to see here. I think if we want to see God's glory, we've got to be present where God's glory is. And so these women actually benefited from being near where a miraculous event occurred and they saw God's presence in this moment because they were there. So Christian, you want to see more of God in your life? You want to see God's presence in your life? You got to be where God is. You got to be where the events are happening. You got to be where God's hand is moving. That's the only thing we can take away from here, right? But the compassion these women had for their Lord clearly drives them to the grave that this morning or that morning. Therefore, it is perhaps because of this compassion and loyalty to their Lord that the angels speak to them with gentleness. They saw their loyalty to the Christ. They saw that. Now, let's look here at verses 6 and 7. 
Verses actually six and seven, I've got in my Bible, I've got it blocked off. <laughs> big block, big borders around verses six and seven, because this right here, if I would argue, if you compare verses six and seven of, verse, of chapter 28 with the great commission of verses 16 through 20, I think you're going to see some similar language here. Look here at verse six and seven. The angel says to them, he is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then verse seven, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. Amen. That right there, I think, is the first commission to preach the gospel. Be an evangelist. Tell everyone the good news. You can relate that clearly to the words of Jesus at the end of the chapter. You see that? These verses are the most important verses, I think, of this Resurrection Sunday. As we remember our Lord's resurrection, let's remember verses 6 and 7. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And we have to remember verse 7 Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. How many of us are going to come out of worship this morning and go do that? We'll let that awkward pause there for a minute. Well, we may be rushing out of here as we leave worship this morning to get home because the ham's going to burn. We may be rushing out of here because we got family expecting us to show up at their house. We may be rushing out. And I don't know if anybody has to work today. We do have folks who do work in this church on Sundays. But we may be rushing out of here because we've got other things on our mind. I think what we can glean here from what the angel is telling these ladies, go and tell. Go and tell. But you got to have the passion that these women had in order to do it. You've got to have the passion of a loyal Christian, a dedicated follower of Christ in order to hear that message and to hear that command and say, hallelujah, I'm going to go tell. This, this instruction here initiates the gospel evangelism of spreading the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ that would build the church and change the world. Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. That's a key verse, folks. That ushers in, I think it initiates very strongly the gospel witness of proclaiming the truth of our Savior risen from the grave. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Verse 8 is the key here. So they departed how? With both fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. This verse tells us much about the state of mind of these ladies. When they left the tomb to return to Jerusalem where the apostles would have been hidden, these women went with fear and great joy. See, joy in Jesus Christ is not always a happy-go-lucky celebration party. Because when you're standing before the risen Lord, (laughs) there's a trembling but for the Christian, there's also that mix of joy, that that fear and great joy. We will all embrace. Think about this. When these women go, 
They go with fear and great joy. This, this is a mix of emotions that all who encounter Christ are going to face. Every time that you encounter Christ, especially when you encounter Christ for the very first time, or, or you hear the challenge of the gospel anytime, if someone looks at you and says, will you follow Christ? When you read the Gospels and you see in the God's Word that there are those who surrendered and followed Christ. When, when the Lord is convicting your soul and you feel the hound of heaven coming after you and you can't escape it, you're going to have this kind of a reaction. There's going to be fear and joy. Y'all agree? That's what we're seeing here. Fear that the truth of one's sinful state is now exposed before a holy God. That's part of the fear. That's a big part of the fear. Oh, God, dear Lord, Jesus, my Savior, you see me. That terrifies me. But then there's this joy mixed in with it. That that death is no longer the eternal prison that once it was. The joy mixed in with the fear of, yes, my sin is now exposed, Lord, but boy, I'm so joyful that you love me anyway. And you died for me anyway. And you came out of the grave for me anyway. You see the terror of of the holiness and the truth of our sin being revealed, yet the joy that it's now forgiven. You see that? You see, death for the Christian is, as we see this truth in Christ, We see nearly that now no longer we're afraid of death as we have this mixture of fear and joy. We see death now as merely a transition from one state into another. Death, again, is this doorway into an eternal glory with our Lord that only the forgiven in Christ will enjoy. I think maybe these women recognize that truth as well. All Christians who hear the truth of the gospel, that's part of the joy too. I am no longer going to see an eternal existence of death and annihilation and nothingness. I now have an eternal life ahead of me, an eternal hope and joy. The Roman guards would not know this joy. They ran in fear. They ran in terror. But these women would have fear and joy in their testimony that their Lord Jesus Christ was alive and that his grave was empty. The joy was the result of the good news that Jesus was no longer in the grave. The joy was the result that it was a good thing. The greatest of good things. That Jesus was no longer dead but was alive. That his promise was fulfilled. That's the joy. Christians, you hearing that? Now let's look here as, as they continue here, um, when, in verse eight, when they ran to tell his disciples, verse nine, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Now the second part of this narrative is that as they are going, as they are obeying the commands of the angel to go, they now meet their Lord on the way. Wow. And they recognized him because he said to them, greetings. And they came up and what did they do? They took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. You ever see a long lost friend that you've not seen in a while and you've missed dearly and with the moment you see them, how do you react? You may not bow down and worship their feet. I hope you don't. 
But boy, you'll embrace them, won't you? Won't, won't there be a great joy there? And that's what these women are experiencing. Joy in Christ leads to worship of him. Notice that these women returning to the city walls of Jerusalem and Jesus meets them halfway and he greets them. Greetings. And they recognized him, recognized his voice. When they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him, this is further evidence that Jesus had a physical resurrection. How many ghosts do you know that have feet? I mean, it's it's a subtle thing. It may be a, a, a corny thing to bring out, but it, it's, a, it's a real thing. When we think about a spirit or a ghost, there's no feet there to grab. But here's further evidence. They grabbed his feet. Worship is the response to Jesus in our joy. And these women knew certainly that He was the risen Messiah, the divine Son of God, and that adoration and praise were the only proper response to His presence. The only proper response to our Lord was what these women did. They did what everyone will do eventually. The unbeliever, the sinner, the believer, and the redeemed all together will someday worship the Lord and acknowledge His name. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, we read, Therefore God his highly, has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What these ladies did here is exactly what all people will do, sinners and saints alike. You cannot ignore the name above all names. You cannot ignore the risen Savior. He is there. Now worship in joy and fear will lead us to the final command of our Lord to proclaim the good news the good news that Jesus is no longer dead, the good news that sin is now forgivable. I want to use that language very carefully. Sin is now forgivable because not all sin is forgiven. Only those in Christ Jesus will have their sins forgiven. You're outside of Christ the Scriptures does not include a universal forgiveness of all sin, of all people, of all time. Only those in Christ Jesus will have their sins washed clean. And so these women, as they come, who witness the resurrection and return to Jerusalem, and they tell the apostles the good news, they all return to the tomb. Now, John's account helps us see a little bit deeper. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, focuses on the crisis of faith between uh, of both Peter and the beloved apostle John, as these ladies return with Peter and John to the grave. But now we see in Matthew 28, this is after all of... The resurrection, after even after the disciples now see the empty tomb, now in Matthew 28, we see how Jesus ends his ministry and he passes the torch on to these faithful disciples. The 11 who remain, the 11 apostles who remain, along with uh, what Acts tells us, 500 witnesses, they see Jesus for the final time on the mountain where Jesus tells them to gather. This Now, in, in Matthew's account, it's a little bit different than what we see in Acts, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But here in uh, Matthew 28, this is an unnamed mountain in Galilee, and, and it would be about a week's journey from Jerusalem, perhaps. So we're looking at several days after the resurrection here at the end of Matthew 28. 
But now we know that in Luke 24, the 11 and all the other witnesses of Christ returned to Jerusalem near the village of Bethany to witness Christ's ascension. In Luke 24, we see, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Notice how the, the disciples of Christ reacted in those immediate days and weeks of his resurrection. What did they do? They were in Jerusalem daily, in the temple daily, doing what? <laughs> blessing God, Luke 24. That's how these disciples reacted to the empty tomb. When they saw the empty tomb, they saw their risen Lord, they went to the temple in Jerusalem daily to proclaim and bless the Lord for all to see, for all to hear, despite Roman persecution, despite death, certain death. They went to the temple daily and proclaimed Him. Now, from Luke 24 back to... Uh, in, in actually, in Acts chapter 1, we read this, "...until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God." We read that in Acts chapter 1. So we know that for at least 40 days, Jesus was alive with His disciples, teaching them and preparing them for the gospel ministry. That takes us now back here. The commission of our Lord in Matthew 28 was during these 40 days of instruction. This is not to be confused with His ascension. This is a different time. So somewhere during these 40 days, because part of the reason we know the ascension happened in Jerusalem and the Great Commission here in Matthew 28 happened in Galilee, two different locations. So it must have been sometime during these 40 days of instruction, Jesus is now giving the Great Commission. The final verses in Matthew's Gospel tells us of Jesus' words. The commission of our Lord here in Matthew 28 tells us how to respond to the risen Lord. You ever thought about the Great Commission this way? Yes, it's great text for missions and feeling good about global missions, but it's in response to the risen Lord. That's how I want us to think about Matthew 28. We're not to stand in shock and awe at the good news of the Lord's resurrection. We're not to run in fear away from the news of Christ's resurrection. We are to proclaim this news boldly and loudly from the rooftops, on the street corners, and to anyone who will hear it. Let's read here Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. We don't know what mountain that was. There's no biblical evidence of which mountain it was. It's just a mountain in Galilee where Jesus said, come meet me there. I'm going to teach you. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But look else in verse 17. But some doubted. There were some who walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus when they saw him risen, standing there. They believed Him, and they agreed that it was Him. They worshipped Him, but there were some in that mix who doubted Him. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, doing what? Teaching them to observe what? all that I have commanded you, not teaching them whatever they feel good about. 
Not teaching them how they see the Scriptures the way they want to see the Scriptures. What does it say? Teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. You don't make up your own gospel. (laughs) You don't make up your own Bible study. You don't make up your own interpretation of Scripture. He's telling the disciples, you go and you teach them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. In the context of literally days within following the resurrection. That's it. So how do we deal with this? Some who do not know Christ, when they encounter the Lord, will run in fear as the Roman guards did. Some who do not know Jesus, when they encounter Jesus, they're going to react the way the Romans did. They're going to run in fear. Because the truth is now revealed to them. Some, when they encounter Jesus, will respond with doubt, like we see in Matthew 28, 17. And in other gospel accounts, we know that some of the disciples doubted. But still, some, when they encounter Christ, will respond with joy. Joy tempered with fear. (laughs) To the good news that sins are forgivable, that Christ is who He says that He is, that Christ is the Lord of all things and even Lord over one's life. Our sins can be forgiven by our risen Lord. That brings joy. And when He grants that forgiveness, oh, what joy. (laughs) When you know that you know that your sins are now atoned for and your sins are now washed clean and you know that you are forgiven of those sins by your Savior who loves you, oh, what a joy. You see that? So, dear friends... How do we respond? I mean, how how do we think about this good news that Jesus Christ is risen, that He is risen indeed? How do we respond to that, folks? How do we respond to the celebration of our sins forgiven and our lives made new? How do we respond to that? How do we respond to the Christian truth that just as Christ rose from the grave, all of His people, all of His chosen, all of His beloved will rise from the grave too? How do we respond to that reality? One of the ways that we respond is by worship. And we come together as God's people to celebrate and worship our Lord. That's, that's, that's the great. But our lives live this joy in Christ or we do not proclaim Christ as He is. If we are not living Christ in our everyday life, if we are not joyful in the fact that we are forgiven people, And that our Savior did it for us. If we're not out telling people about that, living it out, are we actually proclaiming and following what Jesus has told us to do? We end our worship this morning in another way that we can proclaim our Lord's death and resurrection. That's at the Lord's table. This is one of the things that our Lord has given us to do. And I think it's appropriate to worship that way. Now, now in our church and our tradition, we have not established a Thursday evening service called Monday Thursday. 
Uh, I would love to maybe grow to that at some point if that is ever a desire. A Monday, Thursday, and a whole and a Good Friday, and then a Resurrection Sunday. I would love to be in that position if the if the church would like to grow into that. But it was on Monday, Thursday that we know that it was the night that the Lord's Supper was ushered in by our Savior as an act of worship and as an act of remembrance. Monday, Thursday is the tradition of breaking bread and drinking the, the wine or the juice as the significant importance of our Lord's death and resurrection. That's why we come to the Lord's table. He commands us to come here as we worship to remember this event, His death and His resurrection, His life poured out for us. As we look at Matthew 26, Verses 26 through 29. I want to ask the men who are going to be helping with communion this morning, if they'll come on forward. This is Jesus initiating this moment. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to point out there in verse 28, this drink, this new, this drink that represents the new covenant in our Lord's blood. And I looked at this in many translations, and it's all the same, which is poured out for many. Not for all. It's poured out for many. Not for all. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If, if this new blood, if this new covenant in Christ's blood is not poured out for a universal forgiveness of all humanity, it's poured out for many, which means it's poured out for his few. This means that the new covenant is not poured out for many more. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, I ask that if you are not a Christian, if you are not forgiven by the blood of Christ, that you not participate today, not out of condemnation, but out of respect. But if you are a Christian forgiven in the blood of Christ, that this is the time for you to remember your Savior and to worship and celebrate His, His, His resurrection today. Amen? So as we ponder and meditate today over this death and this resurrection. Remember what our Lord has given you. He's given you eternal life through His blood. He's given you eternal life through His broken body and His sacrifice. But He has conquered death so that we would no longer be enslaved by it. And that's what we're celebrating today. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we we pause this Lord's Day, this Sunday morning, this Resurrection Day. And Lord, this day of all days is the day that you call us to remember of all days that our Lord is risen from the grave. He's no longer there. And the reason He went through, the agony that He went through, and the reason that He died and and laid in that grave is so that He could come up out of that grave and bring us with Him. And so God, I pray this morning as we remember His broken body and His spilt blood, that you would cause us to be joyful, but also humbled by the reality that it took your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins. 
And so, God, I pray at this moment you would bless this time as we honor our Savior as He commands us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. As the men distribute the elements, I ask that you take this moment for further reflection and prayer, and we'll all partake together.